Welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Tara Barrett, and today's guest is Kimberly Oren. Kimberly Oren is one of the founding directors of Fishing for Success, Inc., uh, at Island Rooms of Petty Harbor, and currently serves as executive director. Fishing for Success is a nonprofit that aims to teach youth and tourists about the culture of Newfoundland and Labrador through the recreation of a traditional fish family inshore fishing premise. So welcome, Kimberly. Welcome to the show. Hello, Tara. Um, so just to start off, what is your first memory of fishing or trouting? Well, my first memory is when I was uh, at a park outside of Grand Falls. Of course, now it's called Grand Falls, Windsor, but I haven't gotten used to that. And I was uh, eight and a half years old, and there was a gentleman there, and he was fishing, and I was just really enthralled by what he was doing. And so I kept uh, bugging him and pestering him to teach me to fish, and he was trying to ignore me. But I can be uh, pretty persistent, so I kept bugging him and bugging him, teach me to fish, teach me to fish, what are you doing? Show me what you're doing. And I didn't know this man, but... um, but anyway, he finally said, okay, kid, go over there and get a stick, he said, and uh, pull the branches off, and, and I'll, I'll make a fishing pole for you. And so I went over there and got a stick and pulled the little side branches off. And he tied some fishing line to it and put a hook on it. And uh, I actually caught a mud trout with it. And so I was thrilled and just uh, absolutely amazed because it was just this silvery, shiny, beautiful little thing. And uh, you touch it, and it's cool and slick to the touch and wiggly and really exciting because you can't see what's underneath the water. And you put this little hook in there, and you pull up this live, wiggling fish. And so I was I was hooked, and um, I kept fishing all day. Of course, my dad took a picture of the fish, and I have it today even still. And when you went home, did you cook that fish? Did you? Oh, I did. I cooked the fish and um, had my first meal of trout and... Uh, and then wrote a letter to my grandfather in Florida about it. And so he kept that letter all these years. And that was back in, let's see, 1973. And what do you think it was about fishing or trouting that really hooked you? You mentioned, like, the texture of the fish and, and the cool the cool to the touch. But what was it about, I guess, the process that hooked you? Yeah, it, um, you know, the wonderful thing about getting outside is is engaging all the senses and the fun thing about fishing is that it's this, it's like this lottery thing. You're just this one in a million and um, the unknown below the water. You can't, when you're standing up there at the shore and you can't see below the surface and you just drop this hook in and you just never know what's going to come up. It could be this alien thing. You just don't know. And I'd never seen a really never seen a mud trout before that day and and I pull it up and it could have been I don't know it could have been a spaghetti monster for all I know but there it was this mud trout and then I could eat it and bring it home to my parents so it's very very exciting for me and it and it left a very big impression so that's why I'm here today. And so after that first experience uh, with that mud trout what else did you go on to fish or trout or like bugged every fisherman I knew anybody who could fish wasn't safe for me then um a neighbor who went ice fishing wasn't safe for me. He had to take me ice fishing. And and um, my family had uh, a cabin in Leading Tickles. And so any fisherman in Leading Tickles wasn't really safe for me then. And, of course, back then in the 70s, uh, 
the fishery was a family inshore fishery, and it was a community fishery. And everybody in the community would go down to the wharf when the fish came in, and everybody could participate in the helping of bringing in the fish and cleaning the fish. And so I could join in and help pull the guts out. So that, for me, was a, a really fun, thrilling thing. And I could learn all about the fish parts and and uh, and figure out what things were and learn about the difference between the male and the female fish. And so I became interested in science then, learning about fish from the fishermen. Um, so as you mentioned science, I know you went on to do be a science, a high school science teacher. So mm-hmm. where did you uh, where did you end up going to university, or how did that come about? Well, my um, my mother was the Newfoundlander, and my father uh, is a Florida boy, and he was in the U.S. Navy, stationed in Argentia. And there's kind of a funny story about that because Argentia and Argentina kind of look a little alike. So he thought he was going to Argentina originally. And then when he figured out it was Argentia and he had to pack some different clothing for it, he was a little surprised. But um, but he he did meet my mother here. And, of course, then there was that love story. And here I am. Um, but, um, but we did move to, you know, I did grow up here. And we moved to Florida when I was 14. And so that's where I received uh, my education and became a science teacher and, and taught in Florida for quite a few years, for, for 13 years, actually. So I went to uh, Jacksonville University and received a, a Bachelor of Arts degree in science, majoring in uh, biology and chemistry. And so after you finished like teaching high school, what made you want to change and shift into something else or what? So I really didn't finish teaching high school. I, um, no matter what I taught, um, and like I said, it, oftentimes it was, most of the times it was chemistry. It was AP chemi- chemistry or honors chemistry or astrobiology or um physical science or physics it was you know the pretty hardcore stuff I always brought my kids outside because remember that's where I first developed my interest in science and I always so I always brought my students outside and wanted them to see about the you know where things started where we should begin our interest in the world around us and um, and I just over teaching for 13 years I just noticed that kids were just becoming more and more disconnected with um, with outside. With uh, they just didn't know their their backyard plants and their backyard bugs and insects, and so that that started to worry me. And um, and and also, I was coming back and forth between Newfoundland and Florida, and uh, kind of the I joke I was the sort of the original um, Florida to Newfoundland. And now everybody comes back and forth. Um, quite frequently, but, but back then it was sort of a novel thing for people to come back and forth between uh, Disney World and, and St. John's. But um, I was coming back and forth, and so I could see a, you know, a flashing change when 92 happened and the Cod Moratorium happened. I could see a very drastic change from year to year uh, with what was happening in the communities and how communities were changing because of it. And so in 2009, uh, 2006, I just decided to go back to um, graduate school in fisheries and aquatic sciences and and go back to what uh, initially got me started into teaching science was uh, fisheries and uh, teach kids to fish. And so uh, you're one of the founding directors of, directors of Fishing for Success. So do you want to just explain a little bit what Fishing for Success is? 
It's to teach kids to fish. It's to get uh, kids back outside, reconnect them to um, to nature, to the root of it all, to where it all started, um, not just for me personally, but for, I think, um, all of, I mean, I don't mean it sound deep or anything, but I mean, for all of us, we all need to get outside. When you think about um, generations and, and human evolution, we all evolved just intimately connected with nature. Even the scientist Edward O. Wilson talks about um, our our spiritual and uh need for nature and it's not just nature is food or fish is food or we just have we have this deep need for nature and we need to answer that and so we need to get outside um so we think about fish as food or in newfoundland we think about fish as heritage so it's even more than that we need to get outside and just get in touch with who we are as humans and so when you mention fish as heritage um i guess there's some sort of uh, knowledge that comes along with the fishery. So what? Absolutely. Yeah, we, we look now at uh, the inshore fishery and how much that's changed since 92. And um, our fishermen now average age of 60. And so that knowledge that um, has developed in Newfoundland and Labrador over basically a 500-year settler history um, is being lost um, as those fishermen now don't have the opportunity to hand down this knowledge to what they traditionally would pass down to their sons. And the women who were making the fish and passing that knowledge down to daughters and youngsters now don't have that opportunity to pass that down to because we think about the the uh, folks who work in the processing plants, their average age also is nearing 60. And so they don't have the opportunity to pass their knowledge down also. So it's not just fishing for success. We could think of it, too, as uh, fishmongers for success, too, because, you know, we've got to get our, our fish processed, too. So that's an important part of the um, linking fishing, too, is what to do with our fish once we've caught it. Because we don't just want to catch our fish. We want to um, make it into a meal. So. And do you have any favorite recipes or meals with the Oh, well, fish? I'm I'm pretty easy. I just like to clean it up and put some flour and pepper and salt pork in a pan and and just go. I'm um, fancy stuff is great as long as someone else is doing it. I'm pretty <laughs> I'm pretty basic. Yeah. And do you have a particular favorite fish that you like to eat? I'll eat anything that doesn't move faster than my fork, and I've been known to eat it raw too. So I'm. <laughs> I'll eat, I'll eat just about anything. So you're not picky. <laughs> no, I'm not picky. No. Um, another part of Fishing for Success is that it's located at Island Room. So what is Island Rooms? So uh, that's a historic center um, in Petty Harbor. And, of course, rooms were the buildings um, that the fishing occurred in. And Island Rooms are just is just a particular area in Petty Harbor. And um, traditionally, there were about 10 to 12 families that roomed there, that had their fishing stages there. And, of course, now there's only um, a few fishermen who fish from that area. And uh, so I've been very fortunate to to be able to purchase some property there. And hopefully we'll be able to recreate a fishing uh, family fishing premise there. And right now my husband, Leo Hearn, is rinding sticks and getting ready to rebuild uh, some wharfs and stages and twine loft and flake and and go at that. 
Well, right now we've got two dories and a punt with a make-and-break engine and a couple of backup make-and-break engines. Yes. And so who do you have to build these these dories and these boats? So the dories were built um, by Ken Smith of Brookside on the Buren, and he built them in his shed the traditional way over the winter. And uh, the year before, of course, he went out into the woods and squatted down at the base of the tree and looked up to make sure it was bent just the way he wanted them bent. And uh, the beautiful little Grand Bank stories. Um, so we're really thrilled with those, uh, you know, uh, the rowing dories pointed at both ends. And uh, both of them are painted yellow, as they would be on the East Coast. Now, I had uh, asked to have one of them painted orange, you know, because on the West Coast, the dories are painted orange. And I thought it would be unique to have one yellow and one orange, and then we could uh, tell them apart. And, um, and, and the, of course, the boys were a little offended by that because it's the East Coast, and, you know, you wouldn't paint a dory on the East Coast orange. So I've got voted out on that one. <laughs> so there you are. So if you're on the West Coast, sorry. <laughs> I think orange is perfectly good for a dory, but there you go. You got outvoted. <laughs> I did. And so you mentioned uh, children, and you also mentioned tourists. So what are the different programs that you that you want to have with Fishing for Success? Right. And, you know, I th- our heritage is is vital. It's not just some flim-flam little thing. It's... Um, you know, UNESCO talks about heritage being important to sustaining any kind of development. <clears throat> and heritage is, is your identity. And if, if you think about when you travel around the world, and the reason why you travel is because different places are different. I mean, why travel if everything is the same? And, you know, heritage gives you your connection to your past and describes who you are. So it's not just something that is um, is just a artsy-fartsy little something that has no meaning. It's very important. And so heritage has to be lived, and it has to be taught uh, to every generation that comes along. And then it needs to be shared. And so, you know, when your visitors come to visit and see you, it's important to share it with them so that it becomes relevant. And then it's important, of course, then to, sh- uh, to celebrate it uh, so that it becomes something that you're proud of and that you're happy um, to, I, I, I don't know how to, um, um, let's say, um, it, it should be something that is a, a source of, um, happiness and not a source of anger or a source of, um, um, let's see. Something to be proud of and, and showcase the province or the heritage of the province there? Something in a, in a, in a happy way or more of a, you know, because oftentimes people will use their heritage or their culture as a way of distancing themselves from other people, whereas I see a way of heritage as a way of bringing other different people together, you know. Um, 
you know, sitting down and having a cup of tea with someone from a different country and kind of comparing your foods and, and the different clothing that you wear and say, well, we do it this way and we do it that way. Oh, how interesting. That's very neat. And a fun, fun things to do instead of a way of separating yourself from someone, but a way of finding um, out that you really are very similar um, and not a way of finding, um, so a way of sharing rather than a way of, do you see how that, I'm trying to explain, I don't know how to find a word for that, but, um, you know, unfortunately in the world, I think we find um, differences in, 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 instead of finding the similarities in our cultures. I don't know if that makes sense. but I think so, and I think a, a lot of the uh, interviews that we've done so far have uh, have centered around food, and that seems to be something that brings people together uh, very frequently. So I think that I think right, I and that's the first thing we do when someone comes to our home. We offer them food, and you know, very often when we talk about uh, different people from different parts of the world, the first thing we do is think about the food that they eat, and um, yeah. So I hate for us all to become McDonald's. So, and so you mentioned uh, the traditional knowledge. So are there any particular um, skills that you want to teach? I guess, is there any particular way that you want to teach something? So, um, you know, I know you mentioned the intro fishery. So is there a particular way that you want to teach somebody to catch fish, to clean a fish, to cook fish? Like, are there particular skills that you want to teach there? Well, the reason that I selected um, or honed in on Petty Harbor is because Petty Harbor has a protected fishing area. And um, the families there have have maintained this um, since 1895, actually, um, they've they've done this um, since they were since Newfoundland, of course, was part of Britain. They initially kept out bull toes, which are long lines of um, single um, hooks, and they felt that that spread the fish out uh, um, from a far distance on the fishing grounds. Whereas when they were fishing with a single hand line, they would want the fish to clump up, so they didn't want the bull toes. And um, so they wanted those outlawed. And so the, you know, the British Fisheries Act, you know, disallowed bull toes. And so the um, the fishermen and the fishing families have been um, very active in, in, in keeping these fishing laws going. And so then in um, later on in the um, 60s, when gill nets became popular, and of course, Newfoundland was then part of um, Canada. And remember, Newfoundland was only part of Canada for about 10 or 11 years then. Uh, when gillnets became popular, the fishermen and fishing families in Petty Harbor didn't like the ideas of gillnets. A lot of it was because of the issues around employment, because they realized that a few um, of the wealthier fishermen could buy lots of gillnets and literally fish out the harbor. And so then that would reduce employment in Petty Harbor. So they didn't like the idea of gillnets. They also recognized that um, gillnets could possibly damage the bottom, um, also break free and cause these things called um, ghost fishing, which, you know, if it breaks free, they would just capture everything that they entangled. So they didn't like gillnets. And so they voted as a group to keep gillnets out of this area called a protected fishing area that goes from Long Point to North Head. And so they've they've done that and even today they fish for cod during the commercial fishery with a hand line and a single hook 
And so that's um, something I think that's important to teach youth today when we're talking about sustainable fisheries and the impact on the environment today. And um, so that's why I targeted Petty Harbor to to keep an eye out for property that would that would come for sale um, to establish a um, a new little um, family inshore fishery to teach youth from. And so that's why I looked for that. And so that that's a very unique history here. And I I, I don't think enough people um, know about that protected fishing area. So they deserve a lot of credit for doing that because it's taken a lot of effort for their families to maintain that. That sounds quite unique. Do you know if that's the only the only place in the province that's done that, or do you know if it's one of few that have that is, has a protected? That's the only one that's done that. Now, Fogo um, has, and and that area has started now a um, cod pot fishery, and that's recent within the past couple of years. And what's that? And then there's um, where they're fishing with a cod pot. Okay. And it it's kind of like the orange crab pots that you see. So they're doing a, a cod pot fishery. And uh, and then, of course, we have two other little um, a protected, they're not called protected fishing areas, though they're called marine protected areas. There's two other marine protected areas in Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, but those are uh, a little bit different than what Petty Harbor has. Those are called marine protected areas. Yeah, one's for the golden cod, um, and then the other one is, and now you're going to have to, now here's where I'm showing where I, I should know this. Let's see, one's in Eastport and one's in, I should look this up. That's all right. Oh, dear. <laughs> Eastport and where's the golden cod? Oh, my goodness. Darn it. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> um, golden cod. Where is he? He's in Labrador. Okay. And, uh, I have to Google it. That's right. And uh, so actually, if anybody was interested in Fishing for Success, how would they find you? So you can go to fishingforsuccess.org or islandrooms.org. All right. And uh, I know that um, the Heritage Foundation has uh, talked to Fishing for Success about Caitlin, and um, I know you know a fair bit about um, I guess their biology and some of those things you'd like to share. So like, I know that, uh, we actually, we went to middle cove <laughs> and we saw a family there and they said that they, they just came down for the Capelin. They didn't keep them. They just came down for the kids <coughs> to see the Capelin. So why do you think that family should know a little bit more about the background history of, of the fish that is Capelin? They say they come every year and they stay there for a week and wait for the Capelin to come in. I know. And, um, and I'm sure they've gone home, and the capelin hadn't come yet. I know that was too bad. And then later we saw the um, DFO uh, capelin specialist who was speaking about how their gonads weren't fully developed yet, so they weren't going to roll yet until probably the end of July. And because um, it's all about gonad development, because that's why they roll, is because they're spawning. And... Um, yeah. Um, so they, they, DFO goes out and does their studies, I think, sometime in May. Mm-hmm. And so then they have a better idea uh, based on the, the their gonad studies that they do when the capelin will roll. And So when it comes to the capelin rolling, I guess families that are on the beach, why do you think that they should know a little bit more about the capelin and what it can be used for? And what it could be used for? Yeah. Ah. Hmm. Well, I mean, they're a great 
protein and they're free. And so who doesn't like free food, you know? And uh, and then they're also, they're traditionally, they were used as fertilizer. And so if you have a, a rose bed or you're getting into a, a family garden, they're great for fertilizer for your garden too. Although my aunt who grew up in uh, Thoroughfare, which is one of those uh, resettled communities, she says that they had problems uh, using capelin back in the day because the seagulls would would pull them out of the garden. So that was a, a problem. I can see that. Yes. <laughs> um, I know you mentioned that uh, capelin are, are like an integral part of the the fishing industry. So what makes them so important? You're trying to pull to it the, out of me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> what makes them so important to the industry? Right. Well, because the capelin um, is a, a bait fish, and they're huge schools of capelin. And they literally pull the cod away from their... Um, their own spawning grounds off the Grand Banks, and so the cod will follow the the cod the cod will follow the capelin in every year inshore, where of course the traditionally then the uh, small boats were waiting to fish the cod in the summer, and so you could think of it that um, the large schools of cod that our ancestors were dependent upon for their livelihood, you know, wouldn't have been um, wouldn't have been possible without the larger even schools of the bait fish capelin that arrived every um, late spring with the, with those cod following. Yeah, right. And so earlier you mentioned uh, going fishing with a number of people and bugging them and pestering <laughs> them until they took you out. Um, so other than your first, uh, catching your first fish, do you have any other particular memories or people that stand out for taking you fishing or going fishing? Uh, taking me fishing, hmm. Or any particular times that you were out fishing that stand out in your memory? Uh, let's see. Uh, bringing a bull shark to the boat one time in Florida. That was rather interesting. I was very surprised it was a bull shark when I brought it to the boat. Yeah, that was rather fun. Um, so did you have that on a, a, on a line? Oh, yeah, I was just, a- yeah, we were just out fishing in Florida, off the coast of Florida. We had been diving at the same time, and so in between dives when you're letting your numbers come back down because, you know, as you're diving, you collect nitrogen in your bloodstream and you have to kind of let that off gas. And so you're going to do some fishing in between. And so I'm fishing and I'm thinking, well, maybe it's a, maybe I've got a grouper on here or something because it seems a little bigger than the usual fish. And so I'm just playing with it a little bit and letting it tire out and and uh, and I was asking my son, hey, Daniel, why don't you uh, take this over for me and give me a break? And he's like, no, no, I'm busy right now. So, okay, so I kept just letting out line and bringing it in, letting it out, bringing it in. So it was about 45 minutes. I bring it to the boat, and it was like over a six-foot bull shark. And Daniel's like, Mom, why didn't you tell me about a shark on the line? <laughs> and I was like, I didn't know it was a shark. How was I going to know it was a shark? You know, it just felt like... A, big fish so that's pretty cool i wish i'd had my camera <laughs> yeah, so that was pretty cool yeah, yeah i can see that one standing out in your in your memory yeah that was pretty cool that was wasn't quite as exciting as my little mud trout but it was pretty cool <laughs> of course that was a site that we had just been diving on so i was like wow okay <laughs> maybe we'll move and dive in a different spot next time i can see that yeah so that was pretty neat and uh, of course it's always exciting to go cod fishing it's just something about cod fishing that's neat you know and um and learning the marks is a lot of fun 
learning the traditional marks. Um, it's just something neat about learning the traditional marks off of Petty Harbor because that wasn't something that women were taught. And so it's a lot of fun to go out in a boat and have my husband teach me the marks. And, you know, the, the houses are, you use triangulation, so the houses are used and the headlands are used and you slide headlands against one another and then you use the steeple on the church and and uh, and so it's it's amazing how just using you know lining up houses and headlands and uh, and just using those kinds of marks and you can get the boat just within a spot that's the size of a you know a VW Beetle and and drop your line and just know that you're going to have something that is you know 12 fathoms underneath you and and hit the same spot every time and uh, it's really really neat to be able to do that so that's pretty cool of course it's kind of frustrating to some of the the fishermen who've uh, fished for decades when a house gets taken down or (laughs) because now they've lost their one of their marks Yeah, so and 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 there's always the joke about you know no I don't use the third window on the church I use the third window in the second pew you know so then there's always joking very distinct marks yeah so it's kind of funny I just like to say thank you for coming in oh thank you for having me um so this is I'm Tara Barrett and you've been listening to Living Heritage which is a production of CHMR Radio in conjunction with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at the ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Thanks for listening.